Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, February 17th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. We're going to chat some college basketball and talk a little bit of UFC this weekend with a big main event between Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis, UFC on ESPN Plus 43, uh, the event there coming up on Saturday night. So lots of good stuff coming your way on what will be a little bit shorter of an edition of ATS Radio for this Wednesday over at ATS.io, my preview up on that aforementioned UFC event for this weekend. Also got a preview up over there for the Genesis Invitational, this week's PGA Tour event at Riviera Country Club. I encourage you to check both of those out and check out the fine work being done by the other writers over there at the website, covering pr- picks and predictions across college basketball, the NBA, the NHL, and all the other stuff that's going on right now in the sports betting world. We are eight days away from my 2021 MLB betting guide. 24 first drafts of the team previews are written up. Working hard on those in the afternoon and the evening hours here. Hoping to have all the first drafts done by probably Friday morning, I would say. Then I'll be able to make my edits, write up the futures pieces, have everything formatted nicely for you for that guide on February 25th. Very much looking forward to that. I put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you share it. And of course, I hope it helps you with your season win total betting. Went 21 and 9 on those picks in 2019, hoping for more of the same, if not better, here in 2021. With that, we bring out today's guest. That is Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. And Kiev, how's it going today, man? Oh, I'm doing great, Adam. 21 and 9. Where can I get my subscription? Yeah, it's free. You don't even have to subscribe to it. It's free unless you want to download the Kindle version, which I'm sure we'll put up again. But uh, we'll have individual pages over at ATS.io with those team previews and those futures markets, and then also a full-on PDF that you'll be able to download. Uh, some people want a physical copy. You can print it off at work and you know use their paper and ink and, and all that. But uh, yeah, you know it was a good run in 2019. I was really looking forward to 2020, and you thought I had some strong positions there, but you know, obviously we know what happened with that season. Oh, for sure, man. But hey, you know, you work so hard at this. This is probably one of the biggest things I look forward to is reading this guide. So can't wait to see it. And what a nice service that you supply for free for everyone. Yeah, man. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for that. And I'm looking forward to today's show where we talk a lot of college basketball here and something you and I started talking about before we came on the air here. Uh, You, much like our Monday guest, Kyle Hunter, getting a lot of closing line value this year not really getting rewarded for it. It's just kind of been one of those years where things just haven't aligned the way that you would hope. But one thing that you did tell me before the show that you've been doing, looking a little bit more at second half wagering and trying to beat some of those derivative markets as opposed to beating the full game markets. And I think you brought up some pretty good points when we were discussing that before the show. Yeah, absolutely. And it it is kind of a crazy year with close a lot of closing line values not working out, which is probably great for the books because, you know, it's usually the money that's moving that. And, uh, you know, in general, you can't feel bad about what you're doing if you're getting line value. In the long run, that's always going to pay off. But what you can do in such a crazy COVID year where motivation is going to be different, there's going to be more excuses for people. You know, they'd be like, this year sucks anyway. I think we're all saying this year sucks anyway for some things, uh, but especially in 2020, but it's obviously still going on. You take a look at the second half, you know, because at least if you have a position in the first half and, uh, you know, your position's winning by a good amount, you could take a, take a half shot for half the size of your bet on the other side for the second half and possibly double up and protect your investment a little bit, you know, more often than not this, this year, I see a lot of different types of play in the second half where either there's a lot more fouls called or potentially uh, one team kind of just lightens up a little bit. And the, the one that's losing starts to catch up a little bit. I've been seeing that a heck of a lot more than ever, you know? So uh, to be honest with you, my second half bets is what got me, into the black over the weekend. And, uh, you know, I'm going to consider keep doing it because if I think I, I was either a on the right side and I'm getting beat, I might hit that side again. Or if I'm winning a side and I see a potential, you know, team letting down a little bit, I'll play the other side of that. And, you know, usually if, uh, the favorites losing you're going to have to lay a little bit of juice, but at the same time, that favorite was supposed to be up. Anyway, college basketball is quick. Three, I see teams hit three, 
three-pointers in a row all the time. Nine-point swings just like that. Just something to look at. It, it, it mitigates your risk, and it gives you potential options to double up. Yeah, I think it's a really smart strategy, a very sound strategy here. You know, we've kind of talked about this on the show a lot, that full-game markets are just getting a lot harder to beat. You know, you get your closing line value. You do the best you can to control what you can control. But full game markets are, are just very challenging, whether it's the efficiency of the market or just exactly what you said. You know, you might be sitting on a stone cold under at halftime. Game winds up becoming a foul fest late. All of a sudden it goes over by a point, point and a half, something like that, where you had a good bet. You were a few points in front of the market. And then, you know, something happens in the second half that you can't really account for. But at halftime, maybe you can start accounting for those things. You look at a game, it's close. Well, if the line was, you know, five, six, seven points, full game, something like that, you can reasonably assume you're probably getting a foul fest late in that game because it'll be close. It'll be within a couple of possessions and teams will try to extend the game as they often do. Similarly, halftime, one team is seven for 11 from three, particularly if they were an underdog. Well, that's probably going to regress back to the mean in the second half. So maybe you fade that team. Maybe you bet an under, expecting that team to not shoot the ball as well. If they do, maybe the game stays under anyway because they get a big lead and they wind up drawing out their possessions, kind of you know shortening the game by using the full shot clock, stuff like that. I think these derivative markets make a ton of sense, a ton of sense, particularly for the second half. You've already seen 20 minutes of basketball. You know if guys are in foul trouble. You know what kind of the state of the game looks like. You know what the pace was played to in the first half. You've gotten your eyes on something, whether it's just the data or you're watching the game itself. I think second half betting is is a very smart idea in college basketball, not just because of this COVID season, but just in general. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that way, it's so fun to double up and it, and it, and it really affects your bank account and taking some of that uh, stress of the second half and the risk itself is uh is definitely not a bad thing. It's hedging. And uh, if more often than not, I think this year, especially it's been working out. Well, I think it's a good point you bring up too. You know, I mean, these don't have to be independent wagers for the second half. They can be, you know, if you're watching a game and you see something, it doesn't quite line up or as I mentioned, you know, fall trouble situations, something like that. But like you said, you can play for middles. You know, you can kind of hedge back part and try to hit that middle. Or maybe you don't really like the way the game is going. You don't love that position that you were locked into. Maybe you buy out of it, or maybe you buy out a part of it, something like that. The, the thing that I think a lot of people don't really realize about this betting business, and you learn this more as you evolve, as you are around people that do this and do so for very respectable amounts of money. You know, these people that make a living betting on sports, they generally don't do it from, you know, single game pre-flop betting. It's usually going to be a very diversified portfolio of live betting opportunities, of futures and props markets, of derivative markets, stuff like that. Because these second half markets, you know, you're kind of reading and reacting to something you've already seen. When you're betting pre-flop, you're betting on an educated guess. You're betting on what you think is going to happen you're betting on your number to get closing line value, stuff like that. But in the second half, you've already seen something. There's a, a significantly more, a greater wealth of information, even if it's only 20 minutes of a game. Now, can it be misleading because it's a small sample size? Sure, it absolutely can. But these are ways to middle and hedge and find different ways of diversifying that portfolio either limiting your risk, maybe increasing your risk if you double down on the same side because you like what you've seen. But I think this second half market is a weapon that not enough people use. And I'm glad it's something that you're starting to find more value in here this year. And the last thing I'll say about it is if you're on the right side of a bet in your opinion and you're losing at halftime, you're going to feel the pressure, right? You're going to feel the stress of it. But don't don't feel shy to not hit them again because things even out in the second half and maybe your team was just sleeping a little bit, but you know that they're going to play a little bit extra hard or there's a good chance of it too. You know, don't be afraid to double down on it. And that just goes right to bankroll management. If you're making too big a bets where you can't come back on that same team, cause you 
convinced you're on the right side, then maybe you should have had a little bit smaller of a unit size. You know, I think these are the strategies that makes betting fun. And it also can uh, get you out of a little bit of trouble when you, you, uh, you know, you're losing. So that's, that's a, that's a strategy that I'm going to be going with forward. Well, and the last thing I'll say here is that, you know, you mentioned kind of getting yourself out of a tough situation, you know, and, and maybe being able to play back half or, you know, three quarters or something like that with a bet that doesn't seem to be going your way. And I think this, this is a really important lesson an important talking point for a lot of people. Yeah, there are bankroll management advantages to this, but also it's a good way of checking your ego. You know, I think a lot of people that are in this space now and you see it with, you know, all the circle jerks and, and everybody patting each other on the back all the time on social media, when the reality is, you know, you will regress to the mean. You may be on a good run now, but that's not always going to be the case, or you're not always going to be right on every game that you play. So this kind of allows you to check your ego a little bit here too, where a lot of people, they won't give up on a bet. You know, they'll have a bad number with something. They won't give up on a bet because it's a point of pride for a lot of people to bet on sports and be correct when doing it. You know, you, you kind of get that validation you get instant gratification, especially if you're somebody who's posting things on social media or whatever else. But what a lot of people that do this for a living do, what a lot of people that bet you know, significant amounts of money will do, they will have the understanding that, look, if a game's not going my way, instead of losing my full unit size, I'm going to go ahead and you know cut into it a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and take a half unit on the other side where you know, if I wind up being wrong for the full game, I only lose a half unit. You know, if I was right for the full game, sure, I only get a half unit because I kind of bet into the, the play that I did like initially. But, you know, there's there's really no shame in mitigating loss. You know, I know that everyone wants to maximize gain as much as possible, which is why you see all of these lottery ticket parlays of player props and all this other stuff out there. But, you know, one of the ways that you can really survive and, and really find a way to thrive in this business is by mitigating your loss. And that's something that I don't think enough people really think about. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times you're going to get a better number the second half than your first bet anyway. I mean, if you're minus five uh, that you bet for the full game, it's tied at the half, you know, you're going to get a minus two or something like that for the second half, maybe even better. And so, uh, you know, at least you're going to cover that. They win by three points. Three is a little bit of a key number as well. So uh, just another way to look at it. Well, and it's certainly easier said than done too. You know, I mean, like I I sit here at my desk all day. Typically my wife comes home, you know, she'll make dinner. And then by seven o'clock, 730, I want nothing to do with being at my computer. You know, we go watch something on a streaming service or something like that. I know you've got what, two or three kids, I think. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, Kyle Hunter's got two kids. You know, for a lot of people, they just don't really have the ability to sit there and and play second halves, live bet, stuff like that. But if you do have that opportunity, if you do have, you know, the freedom and the flexibility to do something like that, I think it's, it's one of those very important opportunities that not enough people utilize, not enough people are, you know, willing to embrace because it's kind of the old, you know, Ron Popeil rotisserie oven thing, set it and forget it. You know, make your bet in the morning and then you don't really worry about it again until you go back and check the score and either, you know, get pissed off that you lost or be happy that you won, not realizing that there may have been watershed moments in that game where you could have taken a live position or a second half position and, you know, giving yourself a better opportunity at maximizing profit or minimizing your loss. So for the people that have the luxury and the availability to do that, I think it's absolutely positively something you should very much look into. And, you know, I don't bet a lot of college basketball and I've talked about this before. I'm a content creator first and foremost, but you know, if it was something where, you know, I was putting lots of money on the daily college basketball card, sorry, babe, I know you want to watch, you know, man, in the high castle, or you want to watch, you know, we're finally into season 13 of ER, you know, Hey, sorry, we got to put this on hold. Cause I want to look at what these second half numbers look like. If you can do that, I think there are lots of chances to really bolster not only your skill set, but your bankroll as well. 
Please don't do it at the dinner table. You don't want to get have your wife uh, <laughs> slap you in the face right there. Maybe maybe you go sneak in the bathroom, get take a bathroom break or something. But uh, you know, in, in all reality, it, 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 with fo- cell phone apps, obviously, uh, you don't have need a computer. Uh, you can do it pretty quickly and efficiently. You know, so be careful for it because uh, the books do know in general which way people are thinking to bet a, a second half. But you know, that's when you got to just realize, you know, uh, how probable is it to happen. Uh, it's human nature for teams that are winning to let down a little bit in the second half. The other team that's losing, it's human nature for them to try a little bit harder. No, absolutely. I think those are all really good points. I think it's a good discussion overall to have here on the show. And and again, you know, you, you want to diversify your portfolio and your skill set as much as possible because as we've talked about, you get the best number in the world and still lose a full game. And you know, those things happen. I mean, it's, it's why, you know, 55, 56% is thought to be very good in this business. So maybe you've got a little bit more control to some degree uh, if you're looking at some of those second half numbers. Something else you want to talk about on today's show, Kiev, and I think this is always, you know, an important thing to discuss, the value of a number, the value of a line. And, and in basketball, it, it's a much cloudier environment, I would say. In college football, we know three and seven are very important. We know four, five, and six are very important, particularly now with the increase of missed extra points, more teams going for two, stuff like that. Five's kind of become a more important number. But you wanted to key in, pardon the pun, on the key number of three in college basketball and its significance. It is more significant than other numbers, and it's not as much as like the NFL or college football or football in general, but it is there, and there's a reason for that, Adam. There's a good reason for it. Whenever there's a team with 30 seconds left and the score is by one point, right? Do you know how often it lands on that one? How often? Well, out of all the games in this article that I'll tweet out later, one comes up the 11th most common time. And there's a good reason for that. If I'm down one point, I'm going to take a a two-point shot probably not going to take a three-point shot and if i miss that shot and 10 seconds are left what am i doing i'm following the other team one doesn't come up nearly as much as some of the other numbers in basketball chances are the team that you fouled is going to make both free throws sometimes they'll miss one but chances are they're making it that's one of the bigger reasons why it lands on three more than the other numbers. If the score is tied with 30 seconds left, what am I doing? I'm waiting till eight, seven, whatever seconds left before I take my shot, most likely miss it because of the pressure. And this game is going overtime where, ta-da, you can win by three once again, right? So that's a big reason is following at the end why it doesn't land on one and it lands on three. Once in a while, they will miss that free throw. And that's why two is the second most common number. But there's a study out there that said out of all the college basketball games, I believe since this article was probably written about five years ago, uh, since 2006. So it was probably 2006 to 2015. um, Three came up 6% of the time. Two came up 5.52% of the time. Five was the next number at 5.34% of the time. Now, I wonder, Adam, and I tried to find this data and couldn't, how often the three comes up when the spread is between zero and six points, because I would definitely bet that the three comes up a lot more often. Yeah, that makes sense. You you start thinking about kind of the the composition of the end of a game and, you know, when teams continue falling, when teams kind of give up on the falling, stuff like that. And, you know, it's why, look, you, you certainly want to get the best number in any market that you're betting, without a doubt. But, you know, these half points and these full points in college basketball, it, it, it feels like they matter more because they do. Because of the nature of scoring, you're scoring by ones, twos, and threes. In football, you're scoring by threes and sevens primarily. You know, you may get the occasional safety or, you know, missed extra point or something like that. But to me, you know, I think it's harder to fret in football when you miss a line by a point, point and a half, something like that. I'm probably still going to take a look at that, assuming it didn't cross through a key number. In college basketball, though, you know these moves are of much greater significance when they are a half point, a point, a point and a half, something like that. And why 
closing line value is so important because a lot of these games are going to wind up in these fall fest scenarios. And there's a huge difference between getting four and a half or six and a half or something like that. So these are important things. All these single digit numbers for the most part in college basketball do have some degree of importance and and the following at the end of the game is a big reason why. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of people that say when the dog is under three points, they're just going to take the money line because they get a little bit of extra value. I, I don't disagree with doing that, but for me, I, if there's a dog at two and a half points, I try to at least wait for the three. I don't usually buy it, but there's usually a book out there. As long as you do your shopping that you'll find a three pop because people are going to take a favorite at two and a half. You know, and in my opinion, if you're going to take a favorite, I personally like it at one and a half because two is the second most common number. So uh, a road favorite, not loving it at two and a half, definitely not loving it at three as much. But, uh, you know, one and a half is definitely a look for me, according to this article that I'll be tweeting out later. Well, another thing about it, too, with regards to college basketball is that there's a lot less awareness, I think, or just maybe more desire more enthusiasm i'm not really sure how to put it but you know in the nba i mean they will stop falling they'll be like "Eh, you know what like what are the chances that we actually score you know eight points in 12 seconds and and come back and find a way to win this game in college there's usually very little quit And, and to some degree i like to consider it a lack of awareness because you know as a gambler it's just frustrating as hell but that's the thing too is that you start thinking about you know a range where teams will stop falling and you know depending on the team it can be very frustrating to kind of figure that out but you know in in the NBA you maybe stop falling around six or so a lot of people say seven is a very important number because once you get outside two possessions the chances of falling at the end of the game are pretty slim in college basketball they'll fall up into double digits They, they don't really care for the most part so there is that you know you also want to consider if you're taking an underdog you know in that four to six range or something you know, where is that number going? If it's going up, absolutely wait it out because you will get probable falling at the end of the game to where the higher the number on the dog, the less likely you are to get burned by some, you know, free throw attempt with 0.2 seconds left on the clock. Absolutely. And uh, I guess the threshold is around the 11. You know, if you're looking at uh, the amount of times the 11 comes up, it's actually more often than the one. The 11 comes up 4.34% of the time out of this sample size, and the one comes up 4.0% of the time, then it goes to 12. So yeah, it's around nine or 10 points is where teams might make their last foul. And uh, then obviously the clock runs in general. Of course, we've seen uh, teams fall with 13 or 14 points. And I'm telling you that when that, when that happens and you have the under, you, you want to break your TV. Well, it's when you get the enthusiastic, you know, 5'10 white guy, the walk on at the end of the bench who comes into the game and just wants to get on the stat sheet, falls down by 16. And you're like, what the hell? You know, that, well, you say words much worse than that, but you know, it's, it's happened to all of us to be sure. And it will happen again, but Again, you know, a lot of the things that we've talked about here so far, Kiev, I think are really important because betting is, is primarily about trying to set yourself up for the highest probability of success possible. And that means getting closing line value. That means understanding the value of some of these single digit numbers here. That means, you know, second half plays and, and mitigating risk or maximizing potential and all that. Uh, I think these are all really important talking points and, and things I'm glad we were able to discuss on the segment here so far. Sounds great, man. I thought I thought it was very valuable. All right, so let's go to some games here in the Big Ten. And we got a couple of games tonight. Uh, the first one between Nebraska and Maryland. Maryland, double-digit favorite in College Park. Ten and a half, the number for this one. Total pretty much loitering out there in the mid-130s, 134 and a half or so. This one has gone up a little bit uh, based on what I've seen. Up from 133, peaked at 135, and now coming back down to some degree. But uh you interested in laying doubles with Maryland tonight, Kiev? Absolutely not. <laughs> Maryland is one of those teams that I hate betting. And now, of course, I did bet them against Minnesota, and that was an easy one. I actually came back on Minnesota the second half on Sunday, uh, minus two and a half, and uh, was able to double that one up as well. So Sunday worked out really well for some of those second half hedges. But in saying that, Maryland is not a team 
that that's that consistent to me. I mean, I've seen them have some stinkers out there. They kind of got out of the rut and, you know, they won a couple games in a row and that's when they usually like to let down a little bit. Nebraska was in a letdown spot yesterday. Absolutely. They got their first big 10 win at Penn state. Right. And the, the and I'll tell you this, the final score um, against Maryland was a lot closer than the 14 points that they lost by. I mean, I think it was tied with like eight minutes left. It was like a four point game at halftime. You know, you think Nebraska's got to be tired after they, they're on a back to back tonight. They've only had one day in between their games since Wednesday, you know, coming off that COVID pause, everything got bunched up. But at this point, you wonder if they're used to that by now, you know, and, and teams do get in better shape when that happens. You know, Nebraska's on a business trip here. Yeah, they lost that game. Yeah, it was kind of a letdown spot. But the same thing can be said for Maryland here. They also played on Sunday. They had beat Nebraska on Tuesday. What's going to make them wake up for this game? They're at home and they're stuck having to go back and play another game. While Nebraska's on a business trip, they really have nothing else to do here. I think this is a side that you really have to look at Nebraska here. And and I'll tell you this, Nebraska has slowed it down and they're playing better defense. You can tell with this total, a Nebraska total under 135, what's going on here? Well, that tells me that they're playing more careful. They're not turning the ball over as much. I have Maryland winning this game six. 69 to 61 here, but that should be enough room for Nebraska to make the cover here. So I'm playing Nebraska plus the 11 plus 10 and a half is good enough as well. Uh, a little bit of sprinkle on that money line to be cute as if you, uh, <laughs> if you like that plus 450. Yeah. And this one yesterday, you know, was in the 134 and a half range, got bet up to 136 and a half and came nowhere close. 114, the final combined total there. As you mentioned, Nebraska tied with 812 left. They scored six points the rest of the way in that game. So seemed like they kind of ran out of gas a little bit late. And then also once they got down, they really packed it in. They only scored one point in the final three and a half minutes of that game. So maybe that's a spot where they knew, you know, hey, we're playing this team again tomorrow night. We'll kind of empty the bench, kind of conserve our energy a little bit. So maybe you do come back on them tonight because we've seen a lot of these back-to-backs or, you know, back-to-back with one off day situations in a lot of other conferences We have not seen many of them in the Big Ten. And we get one here in this game tonight where the total has adjusted down, and understandably so, but the side more or less where it was last night. And like you said, a misleading final score with Maryland winning by 14. So I think you're on the right track there with the Cornhuskers this evening. Thanks. And I also want to say that this also happened to Florida their last six minutes and 37 seconds, I believe, when they played at South or home against South Carolina. They didn't, they scored one point. Well, the next game, they go to West Virginia and beat them 85 to 80. This is a buy sign for me on, on, on Nebraska for sure. The other game tonight on Big Ten Network is Minnesota on the road at Indiana. And if you've been fading Minnesota on the road, you own a small island at this point in time. What are we going to see tonight here where Indiana has gone up from four and a half to six and a half? It's obvious that Operation fade the Gophers on the road is in full-fledged effect again tonight. Total for this one, 138 and a half. Can you lay almost a touchdown with the Hoosiers? You think the market's starting to catch up on uh, Minnesota's home road splits, Adam? I I would say so, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say so, too. The question is, does it matter? Like Minnesota's that bad on the road, right? I think it matters. And to be honest with you, there was one point this season that I did back Minnesota on the road and got the cover, and that was at Rutgers. I like Minnesota with their back against the wall. But at the same time, Indiana, what are they doing laying such a big point spread here to a to a team that, yeah, is hot and cold, but Indiana, they can't shoot free throws, 65% free throws. They have one player there that's consistent, right? Trace Jackson Davis, right? And and he's he's their heart and soul of this team. If he if that guy ever gets in foul trouble, get your live betting out and bet the other side of uh, of Indiana here. Indiana is a flawed team, but they should not be laying points like this. And Minnesota is definitely desperate right now. This spread, according to Ken Palm, should be a three point spread, according to Bart Torvik. I think he's around the same thing. I looked at it earlier. I believe it was like, I don't know if you have 2.4. it. 2.4 points. 
the, the, the guy that actually has been noticing the most is Eric Haslam that has this game at almost a five point spread, but at six and a half, this tells me I am buying Minnesota. I am playing the contrarian on this. This is the time where I think they actually get up for a road game and it's got to bend at some point when you're sports betting, there has to be a buy point on every single side. You know, I mean, if there's not, I mean, what's it going to take Minnesota by 10, or, or Indiana by 10, Indiana by 15, Indiana by 20. Where's your point? You know, this has been overbought in my opinion. I am buying Minnesota. And if they're happen to be leading at halftime, like they were in that Rutgers game, boy, do you have some options to come back on the other side, protect your bet and try to double up. Strong thoughts on tonight's games here from Kiev. If you want to take Nebraska and Minnesota, one or the other, or you're just looking to take something else tonight, Download the ATS app, which is a bet tracker. You can put your picks in there. You can subscribe to notifications for other people, friends that are in the app, see what their picks are going to be. It's a really powerful tool that you can download either for Android or iOS, the ATS app. Full article integration from the website. It's also an odd screen, so you can check that out as well, along with tracking your bets. Or you can subscribe to the premium model in there for a pretty low cost of 10 bucks a week or $20 a month. So check out that ATS app today. So let's transition over to the Thursday night slate of games here. we got three pretty interesting ones, I would say. Iowa and Wisconsin, the first one on the board here chronologically, 7 p.m. Eastern tip-off at the Kohl Center in Madison. A couple of ranked teams here in this one, an Iowa team that, you know, as we know, doesn't play a whole lot of defense, but a very good offense. Wisconsin, a team that you know pretty intimately. What do you think about the Hawkeyes and the Badgers tomorrow night? Oh, my Badgers. I don't know if you watched that game on Sunday. A lot of people are tweeting about it. Um, <laughs> the Valentine's Day crusher is what I call it. We were right about the Badgers' first half against Michigan. Michigan had the COVID pause. Uh, I, I will admit I did go a little bit on the full game. Thank goodness we went bigger on the first half. The Badgers crumbled. And this is just another situation where you could have took Michigan. They're down by 11 points at half. But, I mean, it's a tough one because Michigan's had that 22, 21 days COVID pause, whatever it was. Uh, the Badgers are missing something. And what it is is really Brevin Pritzel from last year. Pritzel would be that guy that bails them out at the end. They don't have any stars that takes control of the game, that brings them back or stops them from choking. It, what happened is you saw a ton of fouls go Michigan's way in the second half. And Wisconsin just couldn't beat that kind of pressure. Michigan played some fantastic defense as well. But here, I would have much rather, if, if you're going to back Wisconsin, I would have much rather have seen them finish that game out against Michigan because this was been your perfect spot. Well, Iowa got a lot healthier. C.J. Frederick's back. They're looking good. They do have a couple guys in Bohannon. They have a guy in Garza right? That can close out games for them, right? So, uh, man, Iowa, I think they're probably the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten, even with that bad defense. But last year, these two teams were very similar. Wisconsin lost Pritzel. Iowa lost, I think, one guy. And and Iowa beat them 68-62 to at home. That's a pretty low score, 68-62. to this is going to be a little bit of a pace war, but if Wisconsin is smart, which I think, I think guards smart. I don't think he's nearly fiery enough, but he knows that he can't run with Iowa. They have to play great defense to beat Iowa and they might get some calls their way, but they're going to try to slow it down and try to hit their shots when the shot clock gets to 10 seconds, in my opinion. And if I was going to beat them, I, if Iowa starts out big, then I, I, I'd really worry about the pace. But right now I'm looking at the under because Iowa's played a little bit slower in Big Ten play, and they've played a little bit more careful. This could happen where Iowa jumps Wisconsin. If Iowa's up by a lot, they'll end up slowing the game down more. If this game is close, it's because Wisconsin's play worked of slowing the pace down. So two things. Iowa either beating Wisconsin a lot could run the clock at the end, or if this game is close, I think the pace war is going to favor Wisconsin anyway. I have Iowa winning this game 74 to 71. So I guess I I do have a lean on Iowa, 
But at the same time, I think the under might be a better look at him. So I'm going to play the under for a couple stars. A lot of people will be looking to see if CJ Frederick plays in this one for Iowa. He's missed four of the last six games and frankly really hasn't been all that healthy, uh, you know, since 2020, since the game against Northwestern where he had 19 points. So a lot of people will be looking at the status of Frederick for this one. You're following the Big Ten closer than I am. However, I want to play devil's advocate for a second here and say maybe I would kind of look at the over in this one because the one thing I remember you telling me when we talked about Wisconsin's loss to Michigan back on January 12th, you made it a point to say Wisconsin didn't really do well with Michigan's pressure on defense. They didn't do well with the Wolverines in their faces. Same thing here on Sunday. They only scored 59 points in that game. Michigan up in their grills. Illinois, very good defensive team. Only 60 points in that game for Wisconsin. When they face really good defensive teams, it certainly throws them out of rhythm. Iowa's not a good defensive team. So I would counter and say that maybe Wisconsin's offense has a little bit better of a matchup here because they're facing an Iowa defense that's not as good, not necessarily as in-your-face. Wisconsin's played okay offensively against some of the lesser teams here in the Big Ten. What I will say is Wisconsin is at home, and they definitely have a, a much better shot field goal percentage, especially three-point percentage at home. I think last I looked was last week, they were 40% from three at home, which is very high and only 29% on the road. So, you know, there's a chance that they're going to capitalize there. I don't know who's going to rebound the ball for them. They've been really soft down low, you know. So uh, if you think the game's going to go over, God bless you. But one thing I will say is that Iowa, uh, total season, 16.0 average seconds per possession. When it comes to Big Ten play, 16.9, right? So you know that 16.0 was actually a little bit less because they're factoring the slowness of the Big Ten play itself. So I was slowed it down a little bit. But, you know, I'm looking at the under just because there's two good reasons why where it could come. Either Iowa's beating them by a lot, Wisconsin just can't get the ball in the hole, or Wisconsin is, uh, you know, keeping up with Iowa and uh, the game's pretty close and Wisconsin's slow pace is the reason for it. So that's what I'm looking at. So we'll see what that line looks like. Seems like everyone's kind of got this one in the pick a more Wisconsin minus one range. Uh, total probably going to be in the mid to maybe low 140s, I guess I would say. So we'll see what this number comes out 149 at. 149 is what Ken Palm says. Yeah, 177 for Torvik. Haslam metrics has got about 146 and a half, it looks like. So we'll see where that total comes out. We'll also see where that line comes out in that one. A couple other games here on Thursday night. Not sure if you've got strong opinions on either one of these, but Ohio State's on the road in State College to take on Penn State. Rutgers on the road in Ann Arbor to take on Michigan. I got some thoughts on these two? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ohio State, much better team than I expected, especially at this point of the year. Penn State, they have to be desperate. Penn State's going to be a home dog here, plus five-ish. I think the total is going to be around 147. I mean, Penn State's on a nasty little skid here. They lost to Michigan State, and they should have lost by more points than they did. But Michigan State, as you've seen, is not a good team at all. They lost to Nebraska, which was the worst team in the Big Ten. Now I have to think Northwestern might be. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, that's still not voting well for Penn State. But one thing they do well is they play pretty well at home in general. Um, Chris Holtman, man, what a great job he's done with Ohio State. Um, but look who they have on deck. They have Michigan on deck. Michigan, where they rank fourth in the nation on the AP. I think Ken Palm likes them all the way up to number three, especially now that Michigan beat Wisconsin their first game back from COVID. You know, you can't tell me that Ohio State and the kids aren't thinking about that a little bit. Now, I know it's not a like football where it's a much bigger rivalry, especially for the fans itself. But these teams know that they're the top two, three teams in the Big Ten themselves. They know how big of a game this is. And if you're Penn State, 7-10, and 10, you're not making the tournament right now. I don't care about the Virginia Tech win. At 7-10, and 10, you are not in. The Wisconsin game, obviously, is not aging that well either for Penn State. So with Michigan on deck, I can't bet Ohio State. And I think Ohio State has a few flaws, but it's just covered up so well from their three-point shooting. But one thing I will say, Penn State, they 
they're not that bad against the three. They, they rank third in the Big Ten Conference at defending the three in conference play, allowing 31.6% of threes to go in. That's not bad at all. And Ohio State, they tend to shoot a decent amount of threes. Penn State plays better at home, shooting 44.7% to 38.8% on the road. I have Ohio State winning, but it's not going to be by five points. I have Ohio State winning by about four points, 75 to 71. But in my opinion, there's going to be some Ohio State money coming in, and I think you're going to get above a five. This might be a small play on Penn State, but it's obviously number dependent, as all these games are. Yeah, for Ohio State, you know, I, I sort of wonder about the offensive profile of this team because they take a ton of jump shots. They take a lot of mid-range jump shots as well, something we've harped on a lot on this show here where, you know, it's generally kind of a low ROI offensive style. So I kind of worry about the Buckeyes falling off a bit offensively. I think it could be something that hurts them when they get into postseason play, whether that's the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament where, you know, those shots don't fall for them and it winds up really leaving them kind of out on an island offensively. So that's what I worry about with them. I think the look-ahead factor is, is a very good argument to make here uh, with that game coming up against Michigan. And I don't think Michigan has the same thing in their game against Rutgers because they're coming off this COVID pause. They want to make sure that they're crisp and that they're you know firing on all cylinders going into that Ohio State game. I don't, I don't really love this matchup here in this spot for Rutgers. For Rutgers or for Michigan? I don't love it for Rutgers. Okay. Well, Michigan's going to be laying about nine points, right? Total on this is 137 is where I got it. Um, I, I, I agree. I don't think I want to play the full game on this either. Um, Michigan's the, what, the second best shooting team in the nation. <laughs> according to uh, Haslametrics, it is. According to just straight-up percentage, yeah, they're fifth. Uh, they're playing at home here. I mean, they already got that COVID game off their back a little bit. You wonder if Michigan's looking ahead a little bit to Ohio State, but Michigan knows they're the class. Man, I got to tell you, that Hunter Dickinson there, holy cow, was he a find. 7-1, big guy, fast, great wind, strong. There's only one guy that matches up with Hunter Dickinson in the Big Ten, and that's Coffee Cockburn. You know, and they're not even playing each other this year, unfortunately. And maybe you'll get them in the Big Ten tournament, but right now it's not scheduled. Um, Could Rutgers muscle Hunter Dickinson? I don't know. Uh, the Badgers sure as heck couldn't do it. They're going to have Cliff Omayuri try. They're going to have Miles Johnson try. But man, with the best shooting team in Michigan, there's no reason I really want to poke the bear even in, at the nine points here. I like Rutgers, but I don't like them that much. And I like Michigan's defense. What I will look at, though, is the first half. Um, Rutgers is finally properly ranked, right? Uh, otherwise, this would be a double. Di- if they are coming off their pause and how bad they did, this would be a double-digit spread. But, uh, you know, they did win five of the last six games. And I think Rutgers can start out a game pretty well. I don't know if they can finish it here, especially how they finished against Iowa when they were away against Iowa. That was pretty bad. But, you know, in my opinion, maybe their first half is a look. If they're if the if the spread's about five, especially like five and a half in the first half, I might take a look at Rutgers, but that's all I have for this one, Adam. All right, some good thoughts though across tonight's and tomorrow's Big Ten games. Some certainly actionable inf- information there uh, from Kiev on the college basketball side. Let's spend a few minutes quickly here on UFC. I want to make sure we get to this kind of talking about uh, the main event here specifically of UFC on ESPN plus forty three matchup between Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. You're seeing Blades out there, about a minus 400 favorite for this fight. So certainly very heavy chalk for him. Only two losses in Blades' career, both to Francis Naganu. Naganu, of course, at UFC 260, going to be going for the title against Stipe Miocic. But uh, what do you think about this one here this weekend between Blades and Lewis? Man, Derek Lewis. I mean, he's one of those fighters that I usually love, or just want to stay away from or fade him. I mean, the guy is so hit or miss, right? I mean, he has some great wins, and he has some bad losses. <laughs> you know, Derek Lewis beat Nagano, which, in my opinion, with apologies to Stipe, I think Nagano's the best. I think he's the best heavyweight. And Stipe might be right there, too, obviously. But it's just that Stipe happens to be the champ. Um, he beat Volkov, Derek Lewis, I'm saying. 
He beat Naganu and a couple other good guys, but he's also lost to Junior Dos Santos <laughs> towards the end of his career. And Junior Dos Santos is a guy that's been really getting beat up a lot lately. You know, I watched him. I watched Derek Lewis fight Latifi and Latifi should have won that fight. You know, I, I, in my opinion, I had it scored Latifi winning it. And there's a lot of people shouting that. And Derek Lewis got the win. Latifi out wrestled him. And that's how you beat Derek Lewis is like, you really got to get him on the ground. Much easier said than done. You know, Derek Lewis has a pretty good takedown defense at 52%. Now, Curtis Blades, great fighter. Look at his record. Like you said, only two losses against Francis Nuganu, right? And in, in my opinion, Nuganu is the best. But he's also um, had some pretty good wins. He beat Volkov, who we just saw beat Alexander Overeem. Blades has also beat Overeem. But he hasn't beat some of the guys that Lewis has. I mean, Lewis hit, he's going to go for the knockout. But he's big, he's strong, he's got better gas than other people think. I mean, people look at him like, this guy ain't lasting three rounds. Well, he lasts three rounds. The problem is that this is a five-round fight. Can he last five rounds against Blades? Well, when Blades beat Volkov his last fight, Blades took Volkov down, played the technical fighter type way, and won in the decision. You know, he won in the points. So Blades knows how to do that. Maybe Derek Lewis can can last. I don't know. But, you know, the odds are telling you that at plus 250, it's not going to go the distance. Well, I'm not so sure about that. But what I will say is this fight, Derek Lewis at plus 350, it's not often where I see that. And Blades' fights that he's won are not as good as Derek Lewis's. Derek Lewis has some knees. If Blades goes for a takedown and, and Lewis can catch him, that's going to do some serious damage to blades. I don't know which Derek Lewis we're going to get, man, but at plus three fifty, it's like playing baseball. Sometimes you have to look, you know, when you're, when you're playing these money line dog sports, I think the price is a little bit wrong. I think Derek Lewis should be around plus two fifty. you know, and that's the problem. I can't bet. I can't bet blades at minus 400. I might take a shot at Derek Lewis at the plus uh, at the plus three fifty. Um, I, I, another way you can look at is if you really think that blades is going to win within the distance, you can get that at minus one sixty five. And blades is the better technical fighter. Ten takedowns per fifteen minutes. If you watch blades fight Volkov, which I actually just watched the uh, reruns of that fight, all he did was just take Volkov down the whole time. You saw Alexander Overeem couldn't even take Volkov down at all. You know, so uh, in my opinion, Blades is going to win this fight most likely, but I think the price is wrong on him. And I'm really considering throwing a unit on big arms, Derek Lewis. Well, and, and that's the thing is Lewis probably only has one path to victory here, but it, it has been a good one to him. You know, he is a guy that strikes in a big way. He's a very entertaining fighter, very entertaining personality too. The problem is that's his only way to win. He's got to catch blades some way, somehow find a way to get a couple of those shots and maybe just one punch is enough to do it here. That's the issue though. And that's the reason why he's such a big underdog blades. I feel like can beat you multiple ways. He can outlast the decision here if he needs to, and he will win a decision. If this fight goes the full 25, he can knock you out and maybe even get to submission here in this one. There is the opportunity for that. Lewis it's one way and that's it. And you can probably even take that plus 300 plus 350 price tag, bump it up for Lewis by KO. Cause to me, I think it's the only way that he can win this fight. So, you know, an interesting one, I think in some respects, we'll see how exciting it is because we'll see how long it actually lasts. But that is the nice thing about UFC betting, especially in today's day and age is, you know, you're not just picking straight money lines anymore. You've got props, you've got manner of victory. You've got, you know, what round, the victory comes in, stuff like that. It, it adds a lot more opportunity. And much like we talked about with regards to second half betting earlier on, you know, that's something that's not brand new, but relatively new in the grand scheme of sports betting. And, and some of those markets will yield more opportunities than, than just pregame betting. Well, there you go. You know, uh, Lewis by KO plus 450 and Blades by decision at plus 335. You know, both sides of it. He bet both. You can't lose. You're getting at least plus two twenty five or plus two thirty five. I mean that. Well, as long as Blades of, doesn't win by stoppage. Well, well, there's yeah, yeah. That obviously that's what you're fading right there. So you got to look at when you make these plays. 
on both sides. You got you can't look at it as two plays. You got to look at it as one play. I'm going to bet on Blades to win by decision at plus 335 for half the size. And I'm going to bet on Derek Lewis to win by KO at plus 450 for half the size. I'm going to count this at one play. And obviously, if one side wins, you're getting nice plus money over plus 235 on each side. But that's just how, the way you got to look at it. You can't look at it as like I lost two bets. This is the one bet you're making. So you're betting that against Blades winning in the distance because there's no way in hell that Lewis is submitting him. So <laughs> that's the that's the best way to look at it. So anything else on this UFC card? I know we, we touched on the main event there, but uh, I think there are 15 total fights on this card. A very long one here from the UFC. Any other fights that have piqued your interest here so far? Yeah, a little bit. And I'm just going to touch on this one. Yana Kunitskaya is a dog at plus 225 against Caitlin Vieira. And, and Vieira's 11 and 1. And she, she, she's done very well, but she hasn't beaten any big names. And if you just look at the matchup stats, Yana's a better striker. She lands 4.49 significant strikes per minute. Her accuracy is 55% to 36%. Both of them take down the same 2.04 to 2.02 takedown average per 15 minutes. The takedown accuracy is about the, say, uh, about the uh, same. Now, Caitlin can submit a little bit better, but Yana's been there. She's done that. I think she's a little bit too big of a dog here, in my opinion. So in this fight, I'll probably be looking to back Yana just for a little bit. But, uh, you know, uh, last weekend we tried to go for the dogs. It didn't work out. The weekend before was great when we bet on uh, Dariush. You know, so it, that's how you got to look at it. If you're betting on dogs, expect to lose more often than you win, but you have to get the prices to be profitable. Yeah, I, I like the dog a little bit in that one too. And I've got thoughts on all, uh, all 15 fights over at bangthebook.com and also a preview over at ATS.io as well. Kev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. You do a lot of phenomenal work over there. What's happening over at the website right now, man? Well, check us out. We have lots of free plays for you. NBA's rocking and rolling. Chris is doing a fantastic job over there throwing out NBA plays. It's not my sport, but for some reason, he gets it really well, and he's just uh, having a phenomenal year. Uh, we always give out uh, plays as much as possible. Obviously, if you like us, if you support us, and you want to be a premium subscriber, you get what I'm betting on and you get when I place the bet. So usually I'm getting line value. Can't say every time, nobody can say that, but in the most cases, you know, I am getting a, a better line than what it closes at. And that's, what's important to me. And that's, what's been consistent over the years is getting that line value no matter what. And uh, uh, of course we thank you premium subscribers very much for supporting us because it's not cheap to have websites and do podcasts. Well, make sure you follow Kiev on Twitter at OB Kiev and then follow the odds breakers at the odds breakers. Kiev O'Neill, always a great time, man. Thank you so much for joining me. I think we covered a lot of good ground here on today's show and I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Everyone enjoy the games and enjoy the fights. There you go. There's Kiev O'Neill once again from the Odds Breakers at the Odds Breakers on Twitter, and he is directly at OB Kiev K I E V. Coming up on Thursday, we'll chat with Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper from BradPowersSports.com. We'll talk FCS college football, much larger slate here for this week, and we'll talk some college basketball with him. Not sure yet on Friday's show. We'll see what I come up with. Um, you know, we'll see where I am with the MLB betting guide. Maybe we can talk some more stuff about that but we should have another show to finish out the week here on Friday. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.